following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. That's page 860 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um. I often find myself um, hunting after what is clever in the world. Um, Cleverness has always been an auspicious attribute in my mind. Like there is no higher goal to attain in this life than cleverness. Well, maybe it's top five. But um, I, I... I've always wanted to be thought of as clever. I've always wanted to find things that are clever, and I enjoy people that are clever. Um, It's just cleverness is satisfying to me. Like, wow, that's so neat how that whatever works, that widget operates, whatever it is. And that's partially why I do woodworking, um, um, because woodworking is clever at its root, at its base. Um, and, And I also like doing things that people don't expect or doing things that uh, in ways that people can't figure out how they're done. Um, And sometimes part of that cleverness is never seen again, but I know it's there and I like that. I built a set of doors recently and there was a lot, there's a lot of mortise and tenons and precision chiseling and boring and boring for you. And, um, And if that's all done right, it's never seen. If it's done wrong, you're going to see it because it's going to fall apart. And look, oh, there was a thing there. I didn't know there was a thing. Um, And I I also I find that it's a temptation in my study of the scripture also to to find that clever nugget that nobody sees um, or to think of things that are seldom thought of. Uh, or thought about, and and so they therefore seem clever. Um, and I I I want to be upfront and honest with you. That is not always good. Um, this is not always a good thing. Um, mostly because you tend to lean towards making something look clever that isn't there at all, um, just so that you look clever, and that's that's bad news. But the other the other part, which is a little more innocent, is that sometimes in looking for the clever, you miss the simple that's right on the surface um, while mining for nuggets of cleverness. <laughs> um, and this passage that we're going to look at in Luke chapter five is no is no different. This passage. Um, this is the most flannel graph passage in all of Scripture. Um, there are there are Sunday school songs um, from this passage. Um, it has it all right right there on the surface. Um, and I think um, we should forgo the mining for cleverness nuggets and l- focus on right there on the surface. That's where we should look. Alistair Begg often says the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. So let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, 
he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture that has meant so much to so many over the years. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would learn what it is you have for us to learn to see the, the main things so that we could follow you more closely, to know you better, to know what it is to be your follower. So, Lord, we do ask that your spirit would speak. We give you this time for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So to set up our flannel graph scene here, start with a big blue board, right? And here is Jesus, uh, and he's uh, in Capernaum still, standing on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret. Now, how many lakes are there in Israel? There's two. So they're not all called lakes all the time. There's the Dead Sea, which is, is a big lake. Um, and there's also the lake of Gennesaret. Never heard of that before? Maybe Chinnereth? No? Maybe the Lake of Tiberias? No? How about the Sea of Galilee? Okay. There was four names for the same lake. It all depends on who you are and where you're standing at the time. If you're standing in Tiberias, it's obviously the Lake of Tiberias, right? If you're standing on the plains of Gennesaret, it's the Lake of Gennesaret. And the ancient uh, Hebrew word for it is Chinnereth. Um, but we know it most as the Sea of Galilee, all the same lake. So there's a large crowd that has followed Jesus there to the shores and wanted to hear the word of God. So they're crowding, on, crowding in on him. And so to get a little space to be able to speak to the whole crowd, take advantage of the acoustics that water offers, um, he gets into one of the boats that just happens to belong to Simon Peter. How coincidental is that? Uh, he is a fisherman with whom Jesus was already acquainted because we just read how he healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law in his own house. So, uh, again, not a big town. Word gets around fast. 
Um, so all of these people um, tend to know each other. Um, so we read last week about Jesus healing his mother-in-law from a great fever. So in part one of this scene, Jesus sits down in the boat and teaches the people. Do you ever find yourself like, I wish I could hear that sermon? The words of the sermon are not recorded for us. We don't know what he said. We just know that he sat down and taught the people the word of God. If I had that, I'd probably just read that one to you instead of making you sit through this one. Um, It would probably be much more productive. And I said it last week, and it bears repeating, that Jesus did not just come to die on the cross. But he also came to preach and teach. We should always be about the business of listening to his teaching and putting it into practice, as well as appreciating his sacrifice for us on the cross. Now, the practice of fishing, the way that Peter and Andrew and James and John were accustomed to, was to fish with nets and not with hooks like we do. Um, and they, they fished in the shallow water of the lake at night. Well, this scene does not take place at night. It's, it's in the morning. They're finishing their shift, right? Um, they, they had been doing this practice of fishing with their nets in the shallows of the lake all night long. And then Jesus shows up with a crowd of people um, at the end of their work day, right? And I think that's funny that uh, over and over you see the disciples uh, absolutely exhausted <laughs> because like here we got four of them. They're working all night long and then, oh, let's go work some more. That'll be fun, right? Let's go do that, guys. Um, the feeding of the 5,000, again, they had just come back from uh, their own um, two-by-two missions trip and they're exhausted. Let's go find a quiet place to just be and maybe take a nap. And then 5,000 plus people show up and let's feed them instead. That'll be fun, guys. Um, you know, and it's just, can you identify with that? I totally identify with that. Like, I just, can I just, oh, no, we got some work to do. All right, that, that was it, right? So that's, that's kind of what, um, what the disciples are dealing with here. So the work day is over. They're cleaning their nets. Uh, they're laying them out to dry for the next night's work. Um, and I, I just, I can't, it seems a little cliche at this point, but I can't help but point out the fact that this is often how Jesus operates. Right? We're just going about our business, and then Jesus shows up. We're just doing our thing, and and this and however the the power of the Spirit gives us opportunities to say something to someone or to do something for someone that we hadn't really thought about, whether it's opportunities to share our faith or to say a word of encouragement or serve someone that needs help. Sometimes Jesus just shows up in the middle of our whatever, you know, for some, with something for us to do while we're just minding our own business. And I think that we can't forget that that's what ministry really looks like. For years and years and years, I thought, that ministry could only happen in this space here. It was a bigger pulpit in my imagination, but like this is ministry 
and then there's there's you guys, right? And even in the design of old churches, you ever seen churches that have like a railing along the platform? You know what that's for? It's not for decoration. It's to separate the clergy from the laity, right? There is, that's like bad. It's bad. It's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. This is wrong thinking that somehow ministry only happens for one or two people looking out at a bunch of other people. Like, I get to minister. Joel gets to minister. Kenny gets to minister. Carol Ann gets to minister. Andrew used to get to minister, the poor bum, right? But you guys don't. Like, that's what I thought ministry was like. It was only for the person standing up front talking. Well, the longer I've been doing ministry, like this particular ministry, the more convicted I am that there's a whole lot more ministry that happens when this is part is done, right? Not just in this building, but when we're out and about, when you go to work, when you're at the grocery store, when your motorcycle breaks down, when your, your boat conks out in the middle of Winnipesaukee. Who knows what kind of interactions we can have with people when we're just doing our thing, Right? at work, in life, that's real ministry. So that's what happens here. Jesus shows up when Peter and Andrew and James James and John are just doing their thing, minding their own business. And then Jesus shows up and asks Peter to do something that doesn't make any sense. Like sitting in the boat, no problem, right? We're all here. We know you're a teacher. Need a little space, need a little you know, acoustical help, whatever, um, that makes sense, right? But what Jesus asked Peter to do next is actually ridiculous. Um, not just, why do we, no, we've been working, I don't want to do that. It's like, no, not only, I don't really want to do that, but what you're asking isn't going to work, right? So here's Jesus, carpenter from Nazareth, right, uh, saying to Peter, the fisherman born in Bethsaida, put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Peter could have said, well, um, thanks, but that's not how it works. Right? We fish in the shallows. We fish at night. Going out into the deep water with these shallow nets, that ain't going to work. Sorry, buddy. If you want to build a chair or something, <laughs> okay. But this fishing thing, that's, that's my deal, not yours. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's not how he responds, obviously. But this is this is not only inconvenient, right? They had been fishing all night, were cleaning up at the end of their shift, looking forward to going home, um, cracking a cold one, and putting their feet up, right? That's not uh, okay. Let's let's go do it again, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is not this is just not good fishing practice, right? It's daytime, and we're going to go out to the deep for a catch instead of the shallows at night. This doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't know about you, but I like to fish. Um, I, I, I especially like to fly fish, right? To me, that's real fishing because you're active, not standing there waiting for a fish to bite the worm, right? But fly fishing. My dad taught me how to fly fish when I was a kid. Um, his dad taught him how to do it when he was a kid. Um, I come from a family of fishermen. It's just something that that we all uh, have always done. And though I haven't done it for quite a while, I still know that there are right ways and wrong ways to fly fish. There are right times 
to fish. There are right places to fish and there are right flies to use um, in order to catch the right fish. Jesus is asking Peter to use a salmon fly to catch a brook trout in the ocean. That, that's how much sense what he's asking Peter to do makes, right? Go out in the deep with your shallow nets and we're going to catch some fish. No. But Jesus is still doing the same thing with his people. He's still asking machinists to become preachers. He's asking teachers to run restaurants. He's asking pilots to leave the city and move out to the willy wax, right? Move to the mountains because that's where God wants us to fish. He has put us all in our particular place, wherever it is, no matter how much sense it makes to us or not, he's put us there to fish. And I bet we could all share stories of how God has used us for his glory in spite of what it was we thought we were supposed to be doing. Um, for a long time, I said that I was able to share the gospel a whole lot more while building robots than I was leading youth group. Um, and that was true for a long time. And if you can't think of a story like that in your own life, it's possible that God's writing that story right now. You're just not aware of it. You just don't see it yet. Jesus says, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus' request would change Peter's life. Peter's response could very well change ours. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. It could have been full stop. Like, look, buddy, I understand you're a special guy, right? There is something about you that's different. But no, we're not doing that. I'm at the end of my shift. I'm tired. I just want to go home. I want to do whatever weird thing you have for me to do right now. I'm not interested, right? How, how often does that thought run through your mind when he says, hey, go say the thing. Turn your car around. See, go, do, go talk to that person. You know, whatever it happens to be, how often do we ignore those opportunities? I, I did that even this week. The Lord says, you saw that guy. Turn around and talk to him. And I'm like, yeah. I got I know I've got other things I got to do. It's a missed opportunity. How often do those chances come? And we just don't want to do it or we're not paying attention one or the other. Peter did confront Jesus with his perception of reality. But he didn't make any excuses. He said, "Look, we've been at this all night. We caught nothing." See, Peter had heard Jesus' teaching already. He had seen him heal his mother-in-law. Like I said, he wasn't uh, not acquainted with him. He knew who he was. He saw him cast out demons with the word. He knew that Jesus taught with authority. He wasn't, he wasn't just an ordinary person. So though it didn't make any sense, and though he and his crew were tired and ready to go home to rest, Peter said... At your word, I will let down the nets. 
Now, our list of reasons to say no to Jesus is not usually, uh, well, it, and honestly, our, our list of reasons to say no to Jesus is just as long as Peter's. Right? If I say something, people might get mad. Right? I might hurt somebody's feelings. Um, what if they laugh at me? What if they reject me? What? I, I don't want to ruin our relationship. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I have something I need to do. I'm on my way to do something else. I don't, I've got my own stuff to worry about. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, we obviously know that the message here is clearly just follow Jesus, put out into your metaphorical deep waters, and he is going to pound you with fish. You're just going to, he's going to bless your socks off if you just go out into whatever crazy situation you think God is prompting you to go into and let down your nets for a catch, and he's just going to abundantly bless you and give you victory. It's a pretty popular message. I bet if that's the message we get week after week, there'd be a lot more people here. But that's not the truth. The message is that God works mysteriously through the coupling of human faithfulness and divine power, and the result is his glory and not ours. Jesus said, put out into the deep for a catch. And the result was so many fish that Peter called James and John to help, and even with two boats, there were too many fish to handle so that the boats began to sink. The Gospel of John records there were 153 large fish. Now, the prosperity gospel will tell you, if you come to Jesus, if you do what he says, he will overload you with blessings, just like he did for Peter and Andrew and James and John. He just wants to bless you, give you victory. Does Jesus want to bless you? Yes. Do you want to give you victory? Yes. Do you want to bless you with more stuff, <clears throat> more money, more power, bigger house, new car? Well, maybe, but not for the sake of just getting more junk. Does he want to give you victory? Yes, absolutely. Victory over your circumstances? Not necessarily. Victory over sin and death and hell and the grave? Yes, absolutely. Through faith in Jesus, that victory is ours. Is it victory over fishlessness? Not necessarily. The fish were not the blessing. When our story is all about prosperity, go out into the deep, let down your nets, and you're going to get fish, which is great. But that is not the blessing. That's not how Jesus blessed Peter and Andrew and James and John. 
Certainly not Zebedee. Because his kids quit their jobs after this. The fish were not the blessing, at least not for this men, for these men. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What about the fish? Doesn't matter. What about my livelihood? Doesn't matter. Peter's response is a reasonable response. Jesus asked him to do something that didn't make sense to him, that just wasn't logical, and something amazing happened. There's kind of a formula. <laughs> when Jesus asks us to do something, he's going to do something through that. The, what's the expression, if God calls you to it, he'll bring you through it? I like to say if God calls you to it, he'll drag you through it, even if it's through the knot hole backwards. <laughs> he is at work. And if we just obey, we will see him work in ways that we don't expect. And Peter's response is the reasonable response. Humility. He echoes the words of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah wrote this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. For from now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. 
If our focus remains as I do for Jesus so that he will do for me, we'll miss out on the true blessing of the Lord. Simon and Andrew, James and John left all the fish on the shore. They left their boats, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. If all they wanted was material blessing, they had it right there, and they would miss out on the true blessing. And that's the glory of God. So maybe this nugget of cleverness wasn't right on the surface, but it's no less true that the combination of human faithfulness to God's word, simple obedience to him, and his divine power mixed together will always result in the glory of God. Peter left all the fish on the shore. But not three years later, in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, he would preach the gospel and 3,000 souls would come to Christ and be saved. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simplicity. Your instructions are clear. We don't have to find secret codes and discover the codex so that we can interpret your words and the secrets that lie within. But you have made the main things the plain things. That the material blessings of, these, of this world is not the true blessing. The true blessing is following Jesus and experiencing the glory of God. Not for ourselves, but for your fame, for your glory in the earth. So that people would know and love and serve you. And to be adopted as your children by faith. Your displays of grace are displays of glory. You've given us Jesus, not because we deserved him, but because you love us. You've given us an opportunity to be saved from our sins, from death and hell and the grave, because you love us. That's simply by trusting in Jesus, our sins will be washed away. Though our sins are like scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. We thank you for this simple truth. Pray that we would pay attention to the opportunities that you give us to share this simple truth with our friends and neighbors and strangers and coworkers. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to your calling on our lives. We'd be faithful to your word, and by your divine power, your glory would be displayed in us to the world. We love you, Lord, and thank you. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.